This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Kingdom Story Company's I Still Believe. Based on the real-life true story of chart-topping singer Jeremy Camp, I Still Believe, rated PG, parental guidance suggested, in theaters March 13th. More information is available at istillbelievemovie.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Welcome and thank you so much for being with us again. Well, we are gearing up and so excited about our upcoming God's Voice Conference. April 17th and 18th, we'll be offering a biblical response to LGBTQ plus tyranny. You can still get our early bird rates by registering today. Go to godsvoice.us. That's godsvoice.us. And one of our great speakers at God's Voice this year is a man whom I know we all admire, Dr. Everett Piper. He is former president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University the best-selling author of Not a Daycare and also a Washington Times columnist. He will be speaking Friday night addressing No Room for Christians, the Imago Day, and the new LGBTQ plus religion. It's going to be a great address, I know. And he is joining me now to give us a little preview and talk over some of these important issues. So great to welcome you back, Dr. Piper. How are you? I'm doing great, Janet. Thank you for having me on. Always great to talk to you. You know, I was looking at Genesis 5 today, and I was looking at the verse that says, in the day, two verses actually, in the day that God created man, he made him in his own likeness, male and female, he created them and he blessed them. And in the day they were created, he called them man. Now, this is such a fundamental thing. I think as Christians, we sometimes just pass over this. Well, of course, he created the male and female. He created us in his image. What happened that we are now at a point in our society where that is being questioned and overturned? Well, first of all, I believe the church needs to accept the responsibility for this darkness in our culture. And when I say church, church with a capital C, when we stepped away from the highest view of Scripture, when we stopped honoring the Word of God as being the inerrant, authoritative, accurate, and true revelation of God to us, then we started relying on our own wisdom and our own ideas as opposed to those ideas, those self-evident truths, if you will, that have been endowed to us by our Creator and revealed to us in Scripture. So what happened? Number one, we have abandoned a high view of Scripture. Number two, as the result of that, culture rots. We are to be salt to a rotting culture and light to a dark world. And what are we told happens to the salt when it loses its savor? We are thrown out and trampled underfoot. What you see in culture right now, Janet, is this. We have started to define ourselves rather than allowing God to do that for us. Mm. We have decided that we will define ourselves by our desires by our inclinations, by our passions, by our libido, rather than our Lord, for example. And we are even doing this in the quote-unquote Christian communities. We should not allow anybody, whether they're secular or whether they're sacred, if you will, to allow the human being to be dumbed down to nothing but the sum total of his or her inclinations. We are more than that. We are better than that. We have higher dignity than that. Our definition is more immutable and true than that. 
We are defined by God as the Omago Dei, the image of God, with his thumbprint on our soul, on our minds. We're morally culpable and aware. As a result, we are not the Omago dog. We're not an animal that just ruts about and defines himself by his belly, by his gut, or by his instincts. We need to reclaim the high ground of the definition of what it means to be a human being. Very well said. I know you had quoted G.K. Chesterton once who said, I always like a dog so long as he isn't spelled backwards, which is a great quote. But that's really what you're saying that we're doing in our culture today. We're taking God and we're reversing everything. Is this why we're getting 58 genders and drag queen story hours and all of this nonsense that says, if I feel like a woman and I'm really a man, that I'm a woman and I can go into your bathroom, you women, and you don't have anything to say about it. Is that the essence of what's going on here? Exactly. And to take Chesterton a little bit further, this was out of uh, uh, Father Brown mystery series where he said, I always like a dog. I just don't let him spell like him spelled backwards. And we could explain that further. on. But basically, I use that quote to demonstrate that we've got spiritual and ontological dyslexia. We don't even understand what's real any longer to the point where we take, take God and flip it upside down and make God nothing more than a dog or an animal. And we do the same thing with the image of God on the human being. We flip it upside down, we define ourselves in a very degrading fashion, and we lose all human dignity as the result. Here's, my, here, here's the perfect example. Women. What happens when the male libido is unleashed? History tells us, whether it's the Roman Empire or whether it's the Constitutional Republic of the United States, whether it's France or whether it's Belgium, whether it's England, Western civilization, the history of the West tells us that when, when we lose the definition of what it means to be human, when we unleash the male libido within culture, who suffers first and who suffers most? Women. Yes. And that's what we see today. Women have lost their bathrooms, lost their showers, lost their sports, lost their dignity, lost their very identity to dysphoric males who want to play makeup and dress up, and they want to pretend that they're women, and as the result, who loses? Real women. I've got news for everybody listening right now. The biblical worldview is that women are real. Women actually exist. They're not fantasies. They're not fabrications. They're actual biological facts. They exist. And if we don't reclaim that high ground of what it means to be a female, then we're going to see women losing in the public square. We certainly are. I mean, amen to everything you just said. So where are the feminists right now, Dr. Piper? The feminists who for many decades said it's all about women and Title IX is supposed to protect women's sports. It's all about women's rights and women's rights being equal to men's rights. These same women who are yelling and screaming for decades about women's rights in many cases have absolutely no fight in them to go after this transgender madness. And it's just perplexing unless you understand the greater problem that you've just outlined. Well, and, and exactly. And they're, they're paralyzed. The feminists don't know what to do. The Me Too movement said, rightly so, that it's wrong for men to objectify women and use them for their own sexual gratification. But yet, the same movement 
can't tell you that a biological male who's confused and wants to claim that he's a woman doesn't have the right to do so. I got news for you. You don't have the right to claim that you are a female if you're not, because when you do, real females are irrelevant. They don't exist any longer. Here's the key. We can win this battle. We can win this argument by being classical feminists, if you will. And you can't be a feminist if you deny the feminine. You can't be a feminist if you deny that females are biological facts. Biblically uh, literate people, Christians, if you will, can claim the high ground of classical feminism because we can reclaim the dignity of what it means to be human, what it means to be male, and what it means to be female. Yes, that's right. What do you make when you look at some of these statistics that are coming out about more and more and more young people, especially, becoming confused about their gender? You have more and more kids coming out saying, I really believe, even though I'm a boy, I believe I'm a girl. And of course, all the healthcare field is affirming this stuff. But it's just increasing by hundreds of percents over the the previous years. This is obviously, as my kids say, this is a fad, Mom. They're always saying this. This is a fad that is fueled by the media. But why in the world are so many parents, do you think, going along with this, especially when we're talking about the kids who want to do gender transitions? I mean, this is just flat-out child abuse, and yet society is saying we're the ones who are abusive if we stand up against it. Uh, It goes back to the schools. We've been teaching this nonsense for decades in our local schools, rather elementary school, junior high, high school, colleges and universities have been teaching this moral nihilism. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as it works for you. How many times have we heard that? How many times have you heard the millennial generation? You've seen them shrug their shoulders and you've you've heard them say whatever. It's the whatever ism of our existing culture, moral nihilism moral relativism, nothing is right, nothing is wrong, other than how you feel about it. As Ben Shapiro has said over and over again, the facts don't care about your feelings. But unfortunately, our school systems have reversed that equation and made facts subservient to feelings to the point where we're indoctrinating young children in this transgender movement and we're taking them to drag queen story hours. Why do we see exponential gain of these kids claiming to be confused? It's because they're being indoctrinated by this nonsense like drag queen story hours. I'll tell you what, hang it right there. We're going to come back. Dr. Everett Piper, my guest. We'll be back on Janet Meffer today right after this. How much is one life worth? Most of us would say life is priceless, and we'd be right. After all, what is the value of someone created in the image of God? We're asking Janet Meffer Today listeners, just like you, to help us save babies through the ministry of Preborn. How does Preborn save babies? Through ultrasounds. Preborn works with hundreds of pro-life pregnancy centers across America, providing free ultrasounds for women in crisis pregnancies. And 80% of the time, when a mother sees her little baby on an ultrasound, she'll choose life. It's that easy. We need 
need your help to support the vital work of preborn in saving human lives. For your gift of $28, you can provide a free ultrasound to a mom in a crisis pregnancy. And for a gift of $140, you can provide five ultrasounds to five mothers. All you have to do is call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Thank you for saving a baby's life. The healthcare open enrollment period has ended. Did you miss it? Don't go a whole year without having a healthcare program. Sign up with Liberty HealthShare. As a Christian healthcare sharing ministry, Liberty HealthShare is not insurance, so you can still sign up. In fact, you can sign up any time of year, and there are no contracts. Starting as low as $199 a month, Liberty HealthShare has memberships for singles, couples, and families, so you can choose the ideal program for your situation. Plus, Liberty HealthShare has no network, so you're free to pick your own doctors, hospitals, and providers. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, so your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Go to libertyhealthshare.org JMT for more information. libertyhealthshare.org JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Well, we hope to see you at our upcoming God's Voice Conference, a biblical response to LGBTQ plus tyranny. We are addressing lots of great subjects under this banner. April 17th and 18th in the Oklahoma City area, you can go to godsvoice.us and register today. The seats are filling up fast. We have an early bird discount in effect through the 16th of March. Get in line because a lot of people are now signing up, godsvoice.us. And one of our wonderful speakers this year will be Dr. Everett Piper, best-selling author, Washington Times columnist, former university president, and he will be addressing No Room for Christians, the Imago Day, and the new LGBTQ plus religion. And I'm interested for your thoughts, Dr. Piper, on the, the latter portion of the description of that address, which is the new LGBTQ plus religion, because it really does seem to have its own set of morals and sacraments and values, all of which are turning, you know, Christianity on its head. You know, what are your thoughts along those lines that in some respects you could see the religious elements of this madness all around us? Well, there's no question. It's a revival of Gnosticism, pure and simple. Yep. This is a 2,000-year-old religion. It just didn't happen yesterday or in 2015 or in 2000 or 1995. This religion existed at the time that the New Testament was being written for us. It was called Gnosticism. It was the elevation of special awareness, special knowledge. Does that sound familiar? Yes. That somehow you know you have wisdom within yourself to deny physical reality. Gnosticism besmirched the body, it elevated special knowledge, and you had this gnosis that allowed you to rise above everything else that seemed to be self-evident before your very eyes. That's what we're dealing with today. It's a revival of Gnosticism, pure and simple. And we should challenge it for that, because if Christians are going to be told, well, no, you're not welcome in the market square of ideas because you're too religious. Well, the LGBTQ agenda is just as religious, and it is an old, it's a religion as old as Christianity, quite frankly. I agree with you. Gnosticism is the essence of the problem, but this gets back to something that you raised earlier. When you talk about the advancement of the LGBTQ plus tyranny, 
what we have seen is a failure on the part of the church, as you said, capital C, to respond adequately and biblically based on the fundamental premise that the word of God is authoritative. And and that's it. We don't get the right to judge what is right and wrong. We have to go according to the word of God. So when you're talking about a reoccurrence of Gnosticism, as it were, you had Irenaeus back there when we're talking about the early church era. Who do we have today fighting Gnosticism? I see all around me, Dr. Piper, Christian leaders who are capitulating. Well, yes, there is such a thing as sexual orientation. We should repent of having said there was no such thing. And capitulating on gay Christianity and and acting like wimps at the very time when they ought to be standing firmly on the word of God. What do you make of that? Well, you're right. Um, However, the good news is we still have a handful of solid Christian leaders who are speaking biblically. And that needs to continue. And this conference that we're talking about right now is going to elevate some of those speakers that are not grounded, excuse me, not grounding their presentations and their speeches, speeches and personal opinion, if you will. They're grounding their speeches, their views, their writing, their message in the Bible. You have to have a measuring rod. I've used this before on your show, but it's so good, I need to do it again. (laughs) You must have a measuring rod outside of those things being measured, or you can do no measuring. That's C.S. Lewis. I'll say it again. You must have a measuring rod outside of those things being measured, or you can do no measuring. It's just common sense. You can't be a carpenter unless you have a tape measure to measure the things that you want to cut to a given shape and size. You can't just make it up as you go. It doesn't matter how you feel about the length of a two-by-four, if you will. It has to be the accurate length. And the only way you can get accuracy is using that tape measure, which is outside of the thing you're measuring. The same is true with morality. The same is true with the human heart and the human desire. You have to have something outside of the human being measuring our concept of what's good and just and right and real and true and false. Otherwise, we are given over to a reprobate mind because we're worshiping the created rather than the creator. Amen. That's right. Romans 1. Well, when you mentioned Drag Queen Story Hour, this is a subject that I know always gets a lot of traction whenever I talk about it, and I know that's the case for you as well. This, to me, is one of the most blatant examples of a culture gone nuts. Who in the world would take their toddlers to see men dressed up as exaggerated versions of women? And I say that on purpose because they're all about the fake eyelashes and the huge wigs and the boas and all that, which most normal women don't even dress that way. It's it's very you know, very much a caricature. Who would take their toddlers to go there and see twerking and to roll around on the floor with these adult men? And even you've had a case where I know at least one of these drag queens has said, well, we're grooming kids. What? Why aren't we fighting back against this particular uh, development in our society, Dr. Piper, when it's so obvious what's going on? We've lost our mind and we've lost our soul. Again, Romans 1, we're given over to a debased mind. We can't think our way out of a paper bag any longer because we're worshiping ourselves. We are narcissists to the extreme. Mm -hmm. We like what we see in the mirror rather than what we see in the Bible. We worship that God that we see as a reflection of ourselves rather than the God that doesn't change that's revealed to us in Scripture. And as a result, we can't even recognize that eight and nine-year-old kids or even five and six-year-old kids have no business being exposed as lab rats to our ugly experiment in sexual nihilism. This is nonsense to the extreme. It makes no sense. It is child abuse, and we need to call it what it is. And you know the irony, this conference, um, God's Voice, is going to be held in Oklahoma City 
Oklahoma, the reddest of red states, not one county in the last two presidential elections has voted blue. The most conservative of conservatives, the reddest of the reddest states, has two bills that went through the House of Representatives, our House of Representatives, just this last week. One would ban conversion therapy and make it illegal for a parent to seek counseling for a 17-year-old kid or younger that wants to stop engaging in homosexual or trans behavior. It would be illegal. And that passed out of committee by a majority vote, with Republicans voting Mm. for it. And just yesterday, I was at the Oklahoma Capitol where I was speaking against a second bill which would require that all state agencies, committees, and boards that deal with, with child welfare would be required to give preferential consideration for board membership to LGBTQ people for child welfare committees in Oklahoma. And it passed out of committee 14 to zero. Republicans. So you can't even look at the conservative movement or the Republican Party as a safe haven anymore. I've been saying that for a while. I don't know how many people understand that, though. You you can't expect the Republican Party to be down the line correct on this issue at all anymore. Not at all. If it happens in Oklahoma, (laughs) I'm going to say this very clearly. If it's happening in Oklahoma, the reddest of red states in the entire nation, you can bet your bottom dollar that it's going to be happening in your backyard if it isn't already happening. It will happen. (laughs) These chickens are coming home to roost, to quote Barack Obama's own pastor. Yeah, you're right about that. You know, when you were saying that we've really gone nuts and we've lost our minds, I was thinking about Daniel chapter four, and people will remember this when King King Nebuchadnezzar was reflecting on his kingdom and saying, is this not Babylon the Great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? Well, what ends up happening? He's up all fours, down on all fours eating grass. And then the passage says at the end of that period, he says, I raised my eyes toward heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the most high and praised and honored him who lives forever. Is that not a great passage to point out in our own day and age when you've lost your mind, your only response has to be to look up to heaven so your reason will return. In in other words, we really need a revival. We need the Lord to right the wrongs that have been done and right our bad thinking in this country. And only he can really do it. You know, um, and that's an encouraging statement. It's an encouraging passage because a pagan, a man that was so narcissistic, worshiping himself, his own creation, his own kingdom, his own nation, everything that he had done by his might and his wisdom and his power, and he was actually subjected by God to acting like an animal. Back to the point, Imago Day or Imago Dog. We will either acknowledge that we're created in the image of God and have the obligation to follow him, obey him, and worship him, or we will be given over to a reprobate mind where we end up on all fours, acting like an animal until God in his grace and providence wakes us up and revives our hearts so that we look to him. And I think I'm right on this, Janet. I think Nebuchadnezzar is the only Gentile, the only pagan, if you will, that actually has, uh, is given credit for offering a portion of the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. I believe that passage you just read is actually authored by him. Now that's a high status for a guy who was revived 
to looking to God rather than himself. That's right. What would you say, Dr. Piper, to the pastors or Christian ministry leaders who might be listening who are saying, I really want to be part of turning things around in this country. I really want to do, especially pastors, I want to do what the Lord has called me to do, preaching his word and bringing some sanity back to my congregation. How do you think that that pastors across America ought to be addressing some of these issues? Be steadfast and create and, and courageous. Uh, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. I think that's First Corinthians 15, maybe 58. We need to be courageous, steadfast, immovable. And let's use a different uh, a non-biblical reference, which I think is making the same point. Bonhoeffer, not to speak is to speak, not to act is to act. Silence in the face of evil is evil itself. God will not hold us guiltless. It's time for courage. It's time for us to be steadfast. It's time to be immovable, grounded in the Word, and not cast to and fro with every opinion of culture. It's time to, for us to be biblical. Amen. And that's why you got to come and hear Dr. Everett Piper at God's Voice again, April 17th and 18th in the Oklahoma City area. And there are early bird discount rates available through March 16th. So get in line now. Go online to godsvoice.us, G-O-D-S voice.us, and you can register. We'll see you there. I'll be emceeing. And Dr. Piper, I can't wait to hear you. Thank you so much for being here. All right. Blessings, Janet. All right. You take care. We'll be back on Janet Meffer today. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Kingdom Story Company's I Still Believe, based on the real-life true story of chart-topping singer Jeremy Camp, I Still Believe, rated PG, parental guidance suggested, in theaters March 13th. More information is available at istillbelievemovie.com. This is Janet Mefford Today, and now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Welcome back. Not good news here from the World Health Organization, which has declared a pandemic as the number of infected countries grow under this coronavirus spread. It's really interesting how people are reacting to this, though, because there is a lot of panic, I would say, over in countries like Italy, where they're running out of hospital space and epidemiologists are going on Twitter and saying this is out of control, et cetera, et cetera. And then you have a contrast in the United States and elsewhere in certain states, for sure, where it just doesn't look that bad. And so people don't know how to feel. And I suspect that you will have a lot more panic now that you have the World Health Organization actually using the P word pandemic. This was from the New York Times. The spread of the coronavirus across more than 100 countries now qualifies as a global pandemic, confirming what many epidemiologists have been saying for weeks. Until now, the World Health Organization had avoided using the term to describe the epidemic leapfrogging across the world for fear of giving the impression that it was unstoppable and countries would give up trying to contain it. The organization had said earlier in the outbreak that it no longer officially declared when an epidemic reaches pandemic proportions, preferring instead to declare global public health emergency. So they're not using the word carelessly. They're not using the word lightly. And they say all countries can still change the course of this pandemic. But now there's evidence on six continents, six continents of sustained transmission of the virus, which has infected more than 120,000 people and killed more than 4,300 people. By most scientific measures, the spread qualifies as a pandemic. The designation
vaccination itself is largely symbolic, but public health officials know that the public will hear in the word elements of danger and risk. Right. Get your toilet paper now. I mean, that was the first. I'm not trying to be cheeky. I'm just saying, great. Now we've just upped the panic. And I'm seeing all kinds of things on the Internet about Oh, who was it? The Kentucky governor, I believe it was, is calling upon churches across the state to cancel worship services this weekend. Andy Bashir said, I believe God gives us wisdom to protect each other and we should do that. There are all sorts of public gatherings. I mean, all kinds of public gatherings being canceled right and left as people just try to hunker down and stay home and stay well. Now, it was interesting to see the Homeland Security gathering the the hearing that took place yesterday. And as far as the United States goes, the report was that there are more than 900 cases here in America, only 31 deaths. Now, you don't want any deaths, obviously. I'm not trying to minimize the impact of somebody losing a loved one or somebody losing their life because of the coronavirus. But 31 deaths in the United States is a pittance. And hopefully, prayerfully, it will not grow to such a large level as people fear. 38 states and Washington, D.C. have been affected. I was laughing a little bit, ironically, though, as I was watching some of this press conference from yesterday, where you had one of the... House members asking, well, what are the upper and lower numbers of the deaths that you expect in the U.S.? <laughs> and of course, the experts said, I, I, we don't know. I mean, how in the Well, there will be more than 50. Well, 50 will be the lower number and 69 will be the higher number. I mean, who, who, how can you possibly know this? So I'm sure we're going to get a lot of very, very strange questions in the days ahead. But do be in prayer because we certainly have never seen anything like this before. At least I can't think of a time where we saw this before. We've had all kinds of scares over things like H1N1 and the Ebola virus and some of these other things that have cropped up these viruses from time to time. And I think in a way that makes us a little bit more lazy or a little bit more apathetic about this at first because we say, oh, here we go again. Another virus. We're going to freak out and everybody's going to buy hazmat suits and then it's all going to be fine. What I find really reprehensible, though, although not surprising, is how you're seeing some of the reaction in the liberal media against Donald Trump, because don't you know a pandemic is Donald Trump's fault? It's completely his fault. He is the king in charge of viruses, and he should be personally catching the viruses and, and obliterating them before they enter the human bodies. I, it's insane. Oh, no. He's, do you really think he was going to get a pat on the back for anything? I mean, honestly. I have to play for you a little bit of what Newsbusters had pointed out from CNN's panel of liberals, including uh, Anderson Cooper, Andrew Yang, and also another guy who was at Axelrod, I guess it was. But these guys are actively rooting for coronavirus to help the political campaign of Joe Biden. Listen to this discussion. This is cut one. We've also never seen a situation like this, certainly modern times, in terms of a potential pandemic influencing... Yes the next couple of months in a way that's kind of hard to even yeah. imagine. I mean, uh, obviously, there's the difference on health care between Sanders and, and, and Biden. Um, but if, you know, if hospitals are overwhelmed, if, you know, the yes. military is called in, if there's people no are rallies. being, you know, triaged in school gymnasiums on respirators or whatever, however bad it may get, yeah. and let's hope it doesn't. Nothing makes you appreciate a functional government like a global pandemic. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, <laughs> yes, I've always said that. Yeah, no, uh, that's, a, that's... No, you're right. But, I mean, none right. of us, there's very few people who have seen what happens when a society, mm -hmm. full, you know, has the potential 
to really burst at the seams. Yes. I mean, it, yeah, Joe Biden's know. argument has been about sort of a return to moral normalcy, but it's also going to begin to look like a return to competence because yes, Trump yes, and the yes. Republicans have been running the government in sort of an anti-government frame, which is not what you want when you're dealing with a health crisis. And we all know when Joe becomes our president, he's going to bring back many of the uh, Obama alums who are really, really competent and technocratic, and that there's going to be real hunger for that in the days to come among many, many Americans if the coronavirus crisis yes. uh, continues to grow. Yeah, he really just said that. That was Andrew Yang. J- Joe, Joe Biden to the rescue. Joe Biden would be able to contain the coronavirus in a much more magnificent way than Donald Trump. Joe Biden can't even tell the difference between his wife and his sister. I mean, did we not all see that clip from a couple of days ago? Oh, here's my sister. Oh, wait, wait a minute. That's my wife. He's going to be the guy who's really going to be able to handle the coronavirus pandemic properly, not Donald Trump. Donald Trump doesn't have a handle on anything. Not on anything. You know, actually, I think that the response from the White House to the coronavirus pandemic, it's just become a pandemic, but the coronavirus outbreak has been quite good. It's been quite good. So they're just, you know, they're hoping for anything. They would love it if we would have a tanked economy. Just get America to remember how awful life is and that only liberals can solve it. And by the way, when you're talking about Joe Biden and a return to moral normalcy. Did you happen to see his interaction at that auto plant in Detroit this week where he lashed out and threatened to assault an auto worker? He actually threatened to slap the guy who confronted him about his support for curtailing Second Amendment rights. As Newsbusters points out, the threat was omitted by all the broadcast networks, all of them, and Univision with others ignoring the incident altogether. But what NBC Nightly News did was particularly deceptive in that they completely cut around Biden's threat of physical violence. Listen to this, cut to. These union workers that have been working countless hours under the Trump administration, I'd like you to explain how you plan to not only keep us working, but how you intend on getting the union vote when there's a large portion of the union workers that are gun enthusiasts and you are actively trying to diminish our Second Amendment right and take away our guns. You're forced. All right, thank now, you. Now, now, shush. Shush. I support the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment, just like right now, if you yell fire, that's not free speech. And from the very beginning, I have a shotgun, I have a 20 gauge, a 12 gauge, my son's hunt. Guess what? You're not allowed to own any weapon. I'm not taking your gun away at all. You need 100 rounds. So when you were in Beto, no, when you said you're going to take our guns, that I did what? not say that. That's you not true. I did, did not say that. It's a viral video. It's a viral video like the other ones are putting out that are simply alive. Your, your voice, you said that you're taking the gun. Well, no, he just Beto. clarified it. Wait, 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 wait. Hey, the take the AR, your AR-14s. Okay, okay, this is not okay. Hold on, hold on. All right. Hey, let's you want to tell me There's a lot of guys. Now, it was hard to hear there at the end, but what Biden said to that auto worker was, don't tell me that, pal, or I'm going to go out and slap you in the face. Does that sound like a return to moral normalcy, where he goes around to all of these rallies and insults voters and calls them names? What is this, Hillary Clinton 2.0, your basket of deplorables? At least Hillary called her enemies the basket of deplorables and didn't try to win their support. Biden just openly insults them to their faces people whose votes he's trying to win and maybe people whose votes he assumes he already has 
Unreal. We got more to come. Stay with us on Janet Meffer today. When an abortion-minded woman walks into a pre-born center, it is a divine appointment. It's where she encounters the love of Jesus Christ and has the opportunity to meet the beautiful life growing inside of her and find out that every baby's life matters. I got to hear how strong her heartbeat was. I was like, I felt like she was supposed to be here. And it didn't matter what anybody else told me. And all that mattered was that I was blessed with the ability to carry life inside of my body. And that baby was supposed to be here for something. And that was all that mattered. 80% of women in crisis pregnancies choose life after meeting their babies on ultrasound. Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country. Would you join with Preborn and Janet Mefford today? For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds and help save five babies' lives. All gifts are tax deductible, and 100% of your donation goes towards saving babies' lives. To donate, call 855-402-BABY, 855-402-2229, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. If you're a medical professional, here's a way to move from success to even greater significance. Mercy Ships has an urgent need for pediatric registered nurses. You'll be joining dozens of volunteer medical professionals who've been blessed by the opportunity. I think all nurses should do something like this. To serve the unserved is one of the most beautiful experiences. Get more information by visiting mercyships.org forward slash nurses. Mercy Ships, bringing hope and healing to the world's forgotten poor. From Kingdom Story Company comes I Still Believe. Based on the real-life true story of chart-topping singer Jeremy Camp, I Still Believe reminds us that amidst life's storms, true hope can be found in Christ. He chose to walk into the fire with her. That's what love is. If one person's life is changed by what I go through, it will all be worth it. I Still Believe. Starring K.J. Apa, Britt Robertson, Shania Twain, and Gary Sinise. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. In theaters March 13th. More information is at IStillBelieveMovie.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. We are back. Thank you so much for being with us. Senator Bernie Sanders, after a drubbing in the latest round of primaries, has now vowed to press on with his presidential campaign. This is going to be interesting. Fox is reporting this. He vows to press on after the primary losses to Joe Biden. He is appealing to his progressive message, and he is making the suggestion that frontrunner Biden has not attracted a sufficient following among young voters. The decision from the populist senator from Vermont, is that what we're calling him now, came the day after he was pummeled by Biden in Michigan, Missouri, Mississippi, and Idaho, and failed to have a breakout performance in Washington state. As the bad news from the 6th, March 10th, contests continue to come in. The self-described Democratic Socialist headed home to Burlington, Vermont, and took the unusual step of not giving a primetime primary night speech. And then he came out giving his plans and he took a swipe at Biden's current condition, saying you need to win the voters who represent the future of our country and you must speak to the issues of concern to them. You cannot simply be satisfied by satisfied by winning the votes of people who are older. Yeah, get rid of those old people. How old are you, Bernie? Now, I'm not denying that you do need to get a good cross-section of voters. You can't simply rely on one demographic. But it seems to me he's relying on the Marxist demographic, which seems to be a pretty small demographic. It's probably why you lost. It's unbelievable to me what is going on in this whole 
scenario with the election and how these things are kind of fleshing out. But at any rate, we'll see what happens with it all. I, w- I want to play one other thing, though, because I found this hilarious in a, well, you know, hilarious in an ironic way. Joe Scarborough over at MSNBC, as Newsbusters points out, has once again proved that there is virtually nothing that the liberal media can't spin into a positive for one of its own. Joe Biden going out, swearing at voters, threatening voters, saying ridiculous things like references to the AR-14. What's an AR-14? Joe, add one. It's AR-15 because you're such a gun nut. You know that, right? This is what the discussion was over at MSNBC between Mike Barnacle and Joe Scarborough. Listen to cut three. And I think when you listen to Joe, when you see Joe now in the past 10 days, two weeks out in the campaign trail, you see something that resonates with voters. And it's pretty simple. It's humanity. It's empathy. It's stability and experience. Talk, talk, let's talk yes, about humanity, Mike, and talk about that moment where somebody made the mistake of saying he was going to take all their guns away. And, and I know Republicans just jumped on it. Oh, Mike, can you believe a political figure using crass language? I mean, come on. Seriously, look in the mirror, folks. Uh, but. But Biden yesterday uh, showed the other side of his humanity, uh, and that is he's a fighter. He's a fighter. He has the experience. Oh, my goodness. This is embarrassing. So Joe Biden is the picture of stability. He's the picture of stability. He couldn't even remember Obama's name on the campaign trail. He couldn't tell the difference between his wife and his sister. He announced that he was running for the U.S. Senate. He said that he would appoint the first black senator, female senator, to the Senate. He doesn't even know what the Constitution is all about. He also misquoted the Declaration of Independence. He couldn't even get the words out. He may have a health issue involved. I'm not trying to make fun of the man, but stability is not the first word that comes to mind when we're watching all of these viral clips of Joe Biden. It's like every single day, not to mention that he's out there insulting voters and swearing and he's stroking children in this incredibly creepy way. You know, he stands in front of little girls and he nuzzles them and strokes their hair and they're kind of trying to get away from him. And the other day he was kissing a baby and he started sniffing the baby's head. This is stability. They're going to do everything they can. They're going to do everything they can because they hate Donald Trump. Now, I want to get into one other very quick issue because I think this is something that will continue to be the case. You might remember that when Beto O'Rourke was running against Ted Cruz in the state of Texas, where I reside, the New York Times came out with a piece that touted the fact that formerly conservative and or GOP Texas evangelical moms may be switching parties. And it was the most disingenuous, dishonest, deceptive newspaper story that I have seen in a long time. And I made hay about it on Twitter. In fact, I did a long tweet storm going into this whole story, showing why it was not true. What they basic, what this reporter, Elizabeth Diaz, basically did, and she's in cahoots with the whole Wheaton College cabal and the ERLC cabal, and they're all buddies. They, they all kind of know each other and work together. And so right there, you have to suspect what they're going to print in the New York Times about evangelicals when you see who's behind all of this. But what they did in the Beto Mom story was they 
said, oh, all these moms are suddenly who, who are pro-life and they're evangelical and they may go for Beto. There could be a swarm of support for Beto among evangelicals. And of course, all of us who live here rolled our eyes and said, what? And if you went down into the fifth or sixth paragraph, she even acknowledged that 80 percent of evangelicals in Texas were expected to vote for Ted Cruz, which, by the way, they did. So I looked at a picture of the moms and I said, those look like village church moms, Matt Chandler's church. And sure enough, when I started digging, at least three of them had direct ties to the village church, which was never, ever acknowledged in the course of the story. Well, now we're seeing the same strategy again. This is from an outlet called France 24. And and granted, people are not really watching France 24 over here, but it is in English and it's the same narrative. Listen to cut four. Like many around the country, on Sunday morning, residents of Austin, Texas, come together to attend church. Unlike most churches here in Texas, this one is very liberal. I have been a supporter of Bernie Sanders for almost four or five years now because his career mimics what I believe um, we should be doing. I'll probably vote for Joe Biden. I was very... uh impressed with President Obama, and I'm looking for a return to stability. According to a Pew study, 25% of evangelicals in Texas are Democrats. It's a growing trend, particularly with women who feel that Trump's message does not reflect Christian values. First of all, that last claim, where's the proof of that? Where's the proof of that, that all of these moms, these evangelical moms, women in Texas, are saying that the Republicans don't reflect their values. Yeah, it's just they don't even try to prove it. They don't even cite any statistics. Why do you have to cite statistics when you're trying to make an impression? And by the way, did you note that they're doing a story on Texas evangelicals and they feature what they even admit is a liberal church? Would it be too much work for you, France 24, to actually get a reporter down to an evangelical church and talk to actual evangelicals in Texas instead of a bunch of liberals? It looked like a mainline church from what I saw. So then they listened to some of the comments from liberal evangelical women. And you don't know where they go to church because they never say. So right away, if you're not going to identify where these people go to church, what their denominations are, or maybe they go to independent churches or what their voting history is, the entire thing means nothing. So listen to cut two. But it wasn't an easy path for many like Cindy Mallet, who says her mind started to change after meeting people while driving for rideshare companies. The two core values I learned as an evangelical Christian of why we vote Republican for traditional marriage and against abortion really were turned on their head. I was forced to look at things from another perspective, which I never would have gotten had I stayed within my bubble. Her friend Laura still goes to an evangelical church and, although she votes Democrat, understands why so many evangelicals are Trump supporters. I think it's really hard and uncomfortable of a, of a process to start integrating new information that feels so completely opposite of what you felt before. So I understand why some people don't want to do that. It doesn't feel good. Let me get this straight. The first woman with whom they spoke, Cindy, said her core values changed and she was forced to look at things differently, but she never elucidates what forced her to look at her values differently. It's all just kind of left to your imagination. Aren't interviews supposed to be revealing information instead of concealing it? Then the second woman is another liberal who says she's an evangelical. All right. Well, if your whole premise is the Texas evangelicals may vote Democrat and that there may be this groundswell of evangelicals who are ready to switch parties, you haven't proven anything. They they go on to interview one other woman who changed her vote and now she works for the Democrat Party. Four women. 
Well, I don't even know if it was four women. It was three evangelical women and a, and a crop of liberals at the first church that they talked to. I don't see that you're really making your case here, guys. The reason I point this out is because so many of us are inundated with the media and inundated with these news stories, and we just take them at face value because who has time to go through these things with a fine-tooth comb? Well, I should like to tell you, I have time to go through it with a fine-tooth comb. That's what I would like to present to you. So you are aware that these people are constantly trying to propagandize you with stuff that when you dig a little bit into it, you can quickly discover was never true to begin with. Use your mind. Love the Lord our God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we glorify God with our minds when we use them. Hey, I like that. I got to use that again. (laughs) All right, we've got to leave it there. We thank you so much for being with us. And we always appreciate your listening. We'll see you next time. This hour of Janet Mefford today was brought to you by Kingdom Story Company's I Still Believe, based on the real-life true story of chart-topping singer Jeremy Camp, I Still Believe, rated PG, parental guidance suggested, in theaters March 13th. More information is available at IStillBelieveMovie.com.